All right, today we're going to start on our journey into Easter. And we can be honest with each other. Easter is one of those holidays that kind of lost its luster, right? You're like, oh, but it's true. We get excited sometimes for brunch, and, and the, the, the ladies wear, wear the fancy dresses. Some people have hats. Um, you get to go out for nice food. There's this little freaky bunny that hops around and brings candy and Cadbury. Can we talk about the Cadbury eggs for a while? I mean, the inside of the Cadbury egg. But we get all excited for a, a lot of stuff. <clears throat> but the, the crucified, risen Savior just doesn't seem to do it for us. You know, I'm not running around going, Jesus, Easter, I want peeps, Cadbury eggs. Well, what happens? What happens that, that Easter just doesn't floor us? I think we all know the facts are true. There was a man named Jesus who lived. Um, the facts are indisputable historically. It, it, they're airtight. There was a man who was fully God. He was killed on a cross. He was buried in a tomb. Three days later, he rose from the dead and appeared to many people. The, the, the facts on an intellectual level are solid. They're tight. But yet we're just not floored by it. And, and I think part of the reason we're not floored by it is because we don't fully understand what it's all about. So this year, instead of parking in a gospel and unpacking the historical narrative of Easter, I want to kind of climb up onto a couple cliffs and look at Easter from different perspectives from within Scripture. And because last week I was sure we were two Sundays away from Easter, I had to do some serious thinking because we have this week next and then it's Easter. No one corrected me when I mentioned that. But what we're going to do is we're going to hopefully uh, have God give us a more grand and fuller glimpse of what Easter is all about as we look at Easter in the eyes of Ecclesiastes, Easter in the eyes of Ezekiel, and Easter in the eyes of God on Easter Sunday. Uh, that will be the most chapters I ever include in a sermon. I'm thinking of going over a thousand chapters, so plan on being here a long time. It'll hopefully be within the normal time frame. But this week we're going to do Easter in the eyes of Ecclesiastes. And as we do, I hope that we get a more robust understanding of what Easter is all about. Now, Ecclesiastes, when I say that, immediately you guys know everything about Ecclesiastes, so we can skip the summary, right? Most of you have memorized the 12 chapters of Ecclesiastes, but just in case someone's listening in who hasn't memorized it all, Ecclesiastes is an Old Testament book. It's in the, um, the area of Psalms and Proverbs, if you're trying to find it there. We don't know exactly who the author is, because he doesn't identify himself, but when you read between the lines, it's pretty obvious who it is. It's a man named Solomon. There are many clues that tell us it was Solomon. The author tells us he was the son of David, he was a king in Jerusalem, he was the wisest, wealthiest man who ever lived, uh, he was a writer of many proverbs, the indulger of what only Solomon indulged in, and on and on and on. This is a book written by Solomon. And this is not an uplifting book, this is just downright depressing. So to dreary out, it's a good way to just really bum you out completely, to look at Ecclesiastes. It's a frighteningly timely book. Bizarrely, as you read scripture, you find these inspired texts are frighteningly timely. But this one could have been written by someone in our time just as easily as Solomon. In fact, we know a guy who could have written, and his name is Mr. Jones. Everybody know Mr. Jones? 
You know the, the old song you don't hear in church very much about Mrs. Jones? <laughs> this is a different Mr. Jones. How do you guys know about that song? I came to faith later in life. I don't know what's... The Joneses. Mr. and Mrs. Jones, not of the song, but Mr. and Mrs. Jones. The people we're all trying to keep up with without realizing it. You know, the ones with the, the big house and the fancy cars and the big bank accounts and the really obedient kids and the dog that never sheds but looks really good and they go on all the trips and they're really, really smart and they have all the stuff and they're just happy as can be and content and complacent and, and everything's going perfect. Those Joneses? Well, this is a letter written by the real Mr. Jones, better known as Solomon, the one who actually had all this stuff, had everything you could want. And imagine if Mr. and Mrs. Jones could write you a letter, hey, hey guys, y'all who are trying to catch up to us, to keep up with us, we just want to let you know what it's like in the Jones's house. What we have here is a letter from Mr. Jones, and it's a depressing book, because Mr. Jones, a.k.a. Solomon, was missing one thing. One thing only in his life was missing. An understanding of what Easter was really about. Now, I'm not going to read to you all of Ecclesiastes. It's 12 chapters. Actually, when we're done today, I'll read to you chapter 13. But let me just read a, a few, uh, 11 verses for you in chapter 2, and I'll summarize the book for you. Solomon says, or the author says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself, but behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven. During the few days of their lives, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the children of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Solomon had it all. But Solomon was not a happy man. Because Solomon didn't understand the full Easter story. Now what we just looked at there, this is a guy who, who indulged in pleasure and laughter and wine. So think about the most relaxing, enjoyable thing you can do and then magnify it a million times and you're kind of with Solomon's pleasure. Laughter. He, he brought in the finest of the comedians to just make him laugh perpetually, and he laughed, deep belly laughs, on and on and on. He drank wine. He drank the best of the best as often as he could. He had houses. When he says he built houses, he's not talking about, you know, these developments that go up around Chester County. He's talking about mega mansions that would look, make Buckingham Palace look like a shack. He, he built pools that watered forests. You know how big that pool is? You don't see them in backyards around town. 
He um, planted vineyards that would make Napa Valley look like kids play. He had livestock and silver and gold and singers and concubines in massive quantity. This was a ladies' man. He had, he had ladies galore. He had silver galore. He had gold galore. He had singers come and sing to him. He had livestock all throughout the field. He had everything you could imagine in greater abundance than you could fathom. And he says it's all vanity, chasing after the wind. He was the smartest man who ever lived. He had more wisdom than any other human being. He did hard work. He tried partying. And on and on and on. Solomon literally had it all. And he was missing just one thing. And because of that, it was all vanity. It was all chasing after the wind. I want to look at this depressing book so that we can see the joy that comes in Easter. You see, when you go through Ecclesiastes, Solomon begins unpacking all that he just spoke about there more and more. I had this and here was a problem. I acquired all this stuff, but you know what? Eventually I'm going to die and I can't take it with me. I have to leave it to someone and they can waste it all by bad choices. I'm afraid of being forgotten. When I die, where do I go? What is life all about? You're just quickly forgotten. It passes like that. And then no one remembers you anymore. In, in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 13 through 16, he gives an interesting example that uh, seems to haunt him a little bit. <clears throat> he says, I've also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege work against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though this poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. Someone did something great in their wisdom, and you know what? They were completely forgotten about. Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes 3.11, and this is the undergirding fear that he has, God has put eternity into the heart of man. And our greatest fear is to not have eternity, to not be remembered forever, to not be known forever, to not have things that last forever. And what we do in our sinful fallen state is try to meet these God-given desires based on eternity being in our heart. And we never, ever get there. Think how many people spend their entire lives pursuing stuff to fulfill their God-given desires, and they never, ever get there. Now, the sad thing is you don't find this out when you're five years old. You usually find this out when you're about 85 or 95 years old, and you look back at life and you say, what the heck was the point of it all? I have a big house, or I have a small house. I have a big family, or I have no family but me. I have lots of stuff and lots of memories, or I don't. But when I die, none of it comes with me. I never had the security from it. Solomon talks in here about riches don't do much good for you. They only give you more worries. Think about the number of people out there, and dare I say we need to include ourselves in it to a degree, who seek to fulfill a God-given desire in a sinful, fallen way. We all desire peace, joy, happiness. We desire meaning, security, Comfort, rest, and purpose. We all, we all have these desires within us. How often do we think that we will, we will meet some of those desires in another purchase? You know, how, how excited do you all get when, when you're going to purchase something you really, really wanted, 
And you go and you get it, and you know that little euphoric feeling you get for a minute? You can get it from, try this, click on the Amazon. I get it for books. Click, click purchase now on Amazon. And I'm like, oh, yeah, the truck's coming in two days. Or it's like right on my Kindle, and it's like, come on, come on, Internet, hurry, 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 hurry. Okay, there we are. There's a weird feeling of satisfaction to get. And the bigger the thing, often the, the, the more robust the feeling. But the little secret is, not too long thereafter, you, you need another, another fix. It, do, it doesn't keep. Think of how, how we want security. We, we worry about who's going to take care of us, or how am I going to take care of myself, or how am I going to take care of this? So where do we look to find security in, in that nest egg? You know, give me enough cushion, and, and I'll feel good. Can I tell you the fear in people I know who have cushions wider than the princess and the pea? The, the nest egg does not give you true comfort and cushion. It's only going to happen in one thing. Meaning and significance. Don't we all want people to like us? Don't we all want people to approve of us? Don't we all desire someone to say, you know, a parent perhaps, I'm just so proud of you. you, you just, you've just done so well. I'm just very proud of you. I'm pleased of you. I love you. We all want to hear that. We crave it. We want other people to like us. We want to have purpose in life. We don't want to waste our lives moving piles of rocks for no reason. We want to do something that makes a difference. Don't we all want to be remembered when we die? You know why they put names on buildings? People want to be remembered, and the more books you got, the better shot you got of being remembered a little bit longer. Go to Rockefeller Plaza in New York, Daly Plaza in Chicago. You go downtown, you could go to the Franklin Institute. I used to eat in something called the Scanling Center in college. These are names of people who gave a lot of money to build a building, probably not Ben Franklin, to build a building or do something so that they might be remembered. We all want to be remembered. It's not sinful to want to be remembered. The problem is, and Solomon never got this, the problem is you can't meet these needs and stuff. It'll never work. It's, you're never going to have a big enough bank account to truly have security and comfort. You're never going to have enough praises of man to feel like you have worth and significance. You're never going to have a job where you say, I finally have meaning and purpose in my life. You will simply, when you stop and slow down, say it's all vanity. It's all chasing after the wind. Now, you can try it. You're not going to make more than Solomon. You're not going to be smarter than Solomon. You're not going to have bigger houses than Solomon. You're not going to have more relationships than Solomon. You're not going to have more cattle and gold and anything else than Solomon. So you wonder, why did God put this in there? Well, because God likes to discourage you at times. He's just mean like that. He says, your life is all vanity. It's chasing after the wind. Is that why this is in here? I think it's in here because this is the Easter story. You see it? You don't see the Easter bunny in Ecclesiastes? I don't either, but I see the story of the resurrection. I got two problems in Ecclesiastes. Actually, God gives us two problems. Number one, you will never, ever, ever be able to satisfy your desires with stuff. Number two, the only thing that will ever satisfy your desires is completely out of reach. Stop and think about that. We as people, apart from Christ can never satisfy our desires. We can, we can put a, a temporary patch on it, but they'll never ultimately be satisfied. We will never have true peace, true joy, true happiness, true purpose, true comfort, true rest, true significance. Never. And we can't get it on our own. Because you know it's only found 
in a relationship with God through Christ. We're doing the catechism. What is our, what is our only hope, or what's our purpose in life and death? That we are God's and not our own. That we were created to glorify God. We were made to live in an eternal relationship with God. And we can't. And that's why we're all so screwed up. Life is vanity, a chasing after the wind. It is. It absolutely is. You will never meet a person who is truly satisfied apart from Christ. And the reason is because you can't be. Now, you can try to an anesthetize. Why is that word so hard? Anesthetize. That. The thing that makes you numb to it. Anesthetize. Yeah. You can do that to it. You can medicate it. You can, you can uh, deceive it. You can try to fill it with another relationship, another purchase, another dollar, another house, another adventure, another something. And for a little bit of time, you can even numb your mind so you don't even notice. But there will be that day when you slow down and stop and think. And if it doesn't happen in this life, if you're a really good medicator, it'll happen when you meet Jesus face to face. And that hollowness that is inside of you is brought completely forth. And you will spend eternity in true vanity and hopelessness and eternal torment. The problem is you can never have satisfaction in stuff and you can't get it from God because you are a sinner who is separated from God by that sin. But, you see the Easter story here? But, but God so loved the world that he gave his only son. See, many, many years before Ecclesiastes was penned, through Solomon by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, there was a grand story playing out in human history. And it started way back in the Garden of Eden. And in two weeks, I'll unpack this for you a little more clearly. But Adam and Eve and every person from then on had screwed it up. Life became vanity, a hopeless chasing after the wind. But... In that moment, God wasn't reacting. God was playing out his sovereign and perfect will to make a way so that even though we were sinners, we might be reconciled to God through the death of his son. Solomon had that story right before his eyes at that time, and he failed to notice it because he was so busy with the junk. Solomon was a man who broke God's commands many ways, and failed to turn back to God, who married women from other countries against God's wills, and by the end of his life was worshiping false idols. Solomon was a man who had it all but one thing, and that one thing was an understanding of the Easter story. What is Easter all about? It's not about brunch dresses and bunnies. It's about eternity in the heart of man. That God put there so we might know that we need something more than this stuff. It's about God making a way for lost people who had ruined their ability to live as they were made to, to have all of their God-given desires exceeded forever. Those desires that we have for comfort, security, meaning, joy, happiness, relationships, to be known forever, isn't that our greatest fear to never be remembered or known that's a God-given desire. And Easter is about God making a way so that those desires he gave to us could be not just met, but exceeded beyond our wildest dreams. 
It's one thing for your earthly father to say to you, I am proud of you, son. It's something quite different for your heavenly father to say, with you I am well pleased. It's one thing for your earthly father to say, son, I will take care of you. It's another thing for your heavenly father to say, I will take care of you perfectly. It's one thing for your earthly father to desire to give you something good. It's another thing for your heavenly father to promise to give you every good thing that will draw you closer to him. It's one thing to be known by a person. It's another to be known by the creator of all people. It's one thing to be loved and applauded and glorified by people. It's another to be loved and applauded and glorified by God. And yes, I did say glorified by God. Read closely in the Bible and it will blow your mind that while we are servants of the king, the way the king desires to treat us is beyond your wildest dreams. Easter is not about, not about vanity. It's not about chasing after the wind. It's about the fact that life is not all lost. The wicked will not prosper. You can be known forever and ever. Solomon missed this. And he didn't have to. Think about how many people that you know don't understand the Easter story. You use the term Easter. Ask someone what Easter means. Well, it's when Jesus rose and died. Actually, it's the other way around. It's when he died and rose. It'd be awkward if he rose and we we worship a risen and then dead Savior. You are crazy. Easter's about the third day when Jesus rose from the dead. That's great, but so what? Well, what do you mean, so what? Well, so what? Jesus Christ is risen today. So what? There's a lot of so what's. But in Ecclesiastes, I see a so what that says life is not all vanity. Life is not all chasing after the wind if you understand who he is and believe in him. Now, I wonder what might have happened if Solomon heard the Easter story and believed it. Now, you understand, he could have known it back then. Back in these days, people were still saved through Christ. The sacrificial system all pointed to Christ. Everything in the Old Testament pointed forward to Christ. What would have happened if Solomon heard the Easter story? Look at the back of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12. I think there would have been another chapter in there. In my Bible, I don't know how yours plays out, it's just sheerly by fonting. There's a big empty place there. I think there would have been a chapter 13. And it's funny because I think I know what chapter 13 would have said. And then one day as I sat in one of my many palaces, depressed and discouraged beyond measure, God opened my eyes to see him for who he really was. And I saw a vision. It was a vision of a man hanging on a cross. And as he hung there, he looked at me and said, Solomon, the Father loved you so much that he sent me, his only son, to die on the cross It was for you. He sent me to take the wrath that you deserved for the sin that was yours upon myself so that I might place my righteousness upon you. All you must do is believe. 
And then I saw that man die. I saw him taken down and carried to a cave where he was buried. And then a massive stone was rolled across. I saw that stone sealed for three days with a guard standing in front of it. And then a massive noise. And the guards fell to the ground in fear as if they were dead. And I saw the massive stone roll back. And out came the man who was on the cross. He was no longer dead. He was no longer in any pain. He wasn't weak or beaten looking. He was risen. And as he walked out of that tomb, he looked at me again, and this time with a smile. And he said, Solomon, follow me. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the one in whom you will find true riches. I am the one in whom you will find true significance. I am the one in whom you will find true peace. I am the one in whom you will find true joy. It will not be in your possessions. It will not be in your concubines or your wisdom. It will be in me. And it will not be because you deserve it. It will be because I love you and I have made a way. All you have to do is follow me. And in that moment, I knew the truth. I knew that God put eternity into the heart of man for a reason. And that reason is that we were made for eternity. We were made to be known by Him and to know Him forever and ever. And I realized that all those years I struggled because I tried to fill a God-sized hole with something other than God. And I came to know who God was, how much He loved me and what He did for me. And I realized the riches I had in the past paled in comparison to the eternal riches I had now. I realized that the homes I had built in the past paled in comparison to the home he was preparing for me in heaven. I realized that vanity was not all of life. Vanity was what I was pursuing. And now I found the answer. All is not vanity. Christ is all. Now obviously that's not chapter 13 of Ecclesiastes. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. Easter is about far more than brunches, bunnies, and bonnets. Easter doesn't wow us because we fail at times to sit and allow, allow God from all the different angles to examine the beautiful facets of the diamond that is Easter. Easter is about God taking on the form of human, fully God and fully man, so that life wouldn't have to all be vanity, but life could all be Christ. Stop and think about that a little bit this week as we get into Easter. Let that marinate around in your mind a little bit. Let God wow you with that truth. That while you were still sinners, Christ died for you for a reason. And that reason was so that you wouldn't have to end up like Solomon, chasing after a whole bunch of stuff and finding out that in the stuff wasn't what you were looking for. Now, God doesn't say that the stuff Solomon had was bad. To Bob's illustration. That was the sand and, and the pebbles, right? God had one giant golf ball. Imagine, let's take the, the mayonnaise illustration. Imagine a mayonnaise jar. And imagine a massive 20-ton boulder. The 20-ton boulder doesn't fit in the mayonnaise jar. Rich person has an easier time entering the kingdom of God than a camel through the eye of a needle. But by a miraculous work of regeneration, a miraculous work of God opening our eyes to the truth, he can fill that jar with a boulder that would never fit. He takes dead people and brings them to life. 
And when we have our life filled with what's eternally significant, a relationship with Jesus Christ, the other stuff is able to be thoroughly enjoyed for what it is. Stuff. Entrusted to us to glorify God and for our good when used in his will. Imagine if Solomon knew the Easter story. I imagine the concubines might have gone. I imagine the idols might have been taken down off of the shelves in the palaces. But imagine how he could have enjoyed the palaces and the vineyards and the livestock and the pools and all this good stuff because he had seen what a great God had done for him or would do for him through the risen Messiah. We live in an advantageous time when the Messiah has come, when he has lived the perfect life, when he died upon the cross and rose from the dead, putting God's stamp of approval on the work. You have all the evidence you need. I don't know about you, but God has never let me down when I walked in obedience to him. But I have found that things are vanity, like chasing after the wind when I haven't. So, week one, Easter through the eyes of Ecclesiastes. What is Easter all about? It's about the fact that life is not all vanity. It is not a chasing after the wind. Life is all about Christ. He is risen even this very day. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the fact that you, you came into this world and you revealed yourself to us in history in such an amazing way. We do not believe in a story that is unfathomable and impossible and unexaminable. We, live in, we believe in a story that is true, that is mind-boggling, that is miraculous, but yet that is examinable and verifiable. That you, God, the, the uncontainable, infinite, eternal creator of all things, somehow contained yourself in a human body. That you lived a perfect life. That you, God, allowed yourself to be nailed to a cross. That you took the sin of humanity upon yourself so that your righteousness might be put upon us. And that three days later, as impossible as it may seem, because it is apart from a miraculous work, you rose from the dead in a resurrected body, that you revealed yourself to many, that you proved beyond a doubt that you were risen, and that you rose to the right hand of the Father. Lord Jesus, we pray to you today, knowing that you are as real as our nose before our face. We cry out to you and say, help us. Help us to not chase after pointless things. Help us to chase after you, knowing that we have already been found. God, if there is someone here who doesn't know you, I pray that they would seek you while you may be found. I pray that they might know more fully what the Easter story is all about. It's about you fulfilling our desires, you making a way so we might live as we were made to live, and we might go out and declare the wondrous things that you have done for us so others might come to know what you have done for them. Father, I pray this Easter you would wow us, wow us anew and again. Wow us with an understanding that we had put ourselves in a position where rightfully we should have been destroyed, but rather we were not just restored, but we were brought to a position of unbelievable importance where life is everything can be, can, every desire can be met that we have in this life through Christ and exceeded beyond our wildest dreams.
Father, we were made for eternity because we were made by an eternal God in your image. And you made a way for all to have eternity. We just thank you for those of us who believe in you. Eternal life is already ours. It cannot be lost. We are in it securely by your work, through your strength, and through your power. God, I pray you will help us understand Easter more fully. Even through the, the words Solomon penned in Ecclesiastes. Life is not all vanity. Life is Christ. And in the precious and holy name of our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen.